Hi, my name is Luke Schmelzer. I'm one of the elder candidates here at Shepherd Reform Baptist Church, and today we are continuing a series of lessons through the London Baptist Confession of Faith. Now, the purpose of these series is to go through the confession of faith that we're adopting as a church so that we can be united and understand with common conviction what we're holding to and confessing to believe and practice as a new church. And so, as we've covered up to this point, uh, the last previous episodes on God and his self-revelation of the creation of man and man's fall into sin, God's covenant and his covenant mediator, Jesus Christ, and, uh, and the beginning of salvation and the balance of uh, the biblical balance of free will and God's effectual calling of his elect. We come now to the next stage of our study through our, our understanding of, of salvation, how God actually affects the salvation of his people, being in chapters 11 and 12 of justification and of adoption. So if you have a copy of the confession with you, uh, follow along. It's helpful to see all of the proof texts that are supplied for these various statements from Scripture, how it summarizes the Scripture's teaching and puts it all together. And it's a useful resource to have on hand to say, well, what do we believe concerning certain things like justification? So, chapter 11 of Justification, paragraph 1, says this, Those whom God effectually calls, he also freely justifies, not by infusing righteousness into them, but by pardoning their sins and by accounting and accepting their persons as righteous, not for anything wrought in them or done in them, but for Christ's sake alone, not by imputing faith itself, the act of believing, or any other evangelical obedience to them as their righteousness, but by imputing Christ's active obedience unto the whole law and passive obedience in his death for their whole and sole righteousness, they receiving and resting on him and his righteousness by faith, which they do not have from themselves. It is the gift of God. So the confession is summarizing the Bible's teaching that justification, being declared righteous and forgiven in God's sight, which is a necessary part of our salvation in Christ, is something that is purely and entirely by faith through, sorry, by grace through faith, the scripture says. That's from Ephesians 2. It's, it's a concept that, that God declares us to be forgiven and righteous because we have been united to his perfect and righteous son, Jesus Christ. That in our, our covenant union with Christ as our covenant mediator, that we're united to him by faith. And so all the benefits and riches that he had earned by his perfect obedience are accounted to us through our union. And all of the evils that we have committed, all of the judgments that we have uh, that were due to us because of our sins, because of our failings and weaknesses, those Christ has fully satisfied by his death on the cross. So that by union with Christ, our sins accounted to him and his righteousness counted to us, we can be freely forgiven. And more than just reset to zero, but to be given positive righteousness, to be accepted as God's righteous daughters and sons. So going line by line, those whom God effectually calls, we discussed that in the last lesson, which Mario did on effectual calling, 
he also freely justifies that those whom he calls to himself to believe the gospel through the preaching of the gospel, those whom he removes the heart of stone and gives them a heart of flesh to see and believe, he also freely justifies, declares them to be righteous. How does he do this? Not by infusing righteousness into them, not by taking righteousness or goodness like a substance and pouring it into us so that we become less and less evil and more and more good. That's a bit confusing the categories of justification and sanctification, which we'll talk about next week. Sanctification is our actually becoming more and more righteous, but justification is God's once and for all declaration of our righteousness in Christ. It's not by infusing righteousness into us, but by pardoning our sins, by declaring that the debt has been paid, it's been forgiven, not by anything wrought in them, not by anything that he's, he's working in us or that we're working in ourselves, but by accounting and accepting us as righteous for Christ's sake alone. We talk about the the solas of the Reformation, that we are saved by grace alone and not through merit. We are saved by faith alone and not by our works of righteousness. We are saved by Christ alone and not by Christ plus our good doing or the good of any other. So this is not by all the good that we are doing to cooperate with our salvation but it is purely by the grace of God to us in Jesus Christ. And it's not even by imputing the act of believing itself. It's not by counting our faith itself as righteousness, but through faith, we are united to Jesus Christ. And in our union with Jesus Christ, we are counted all of his righteous rewards and benefits. So it's not by our believing in and of itself. It's not by our actions, our obedience, our baptism, our church membership. None of that contributes to our justification. Our justification is through our union with Christ, which is by grace through faith. And this is imputing, counting to us, Christ's active obedience to the whole law, the way that he positively obeyed all of what God his father had commanded. He fully obeyed all of the moral laws and being made under the old covenant. He fully obeyed all of the ceremonial laws, all the cleanliness laws, all of the laws that all of us had failed to keep so that his righteousness for those things could be credited to us. And by his passive obedience in his death for our soul and soul righteousness, that his, his obedience of suffering, that he willingly undertook the punishment for our sins, so that both his positive and, and, and passive, his active and passive obedience would be counted to us who receive and rest on him, this faith which is given to us itself as a gift from God. And you can see in the confession the many different uh, proof text, the different passages that this paragraph is drawing from and summarizing these biblical teachings. Paragraph two, faith, thus resting and receiving on Christ and his righteousness, is the alone, the only instrument of justification. Yet, 
it is not alone in the person justified, but is ever accompanied with all other saving graces, and is not a dead faith, but works by love. So this is summarizing the Bible's balance between justification by faith and the necessary outcome of our changed lives and our manifested obedience. Because God doesn't just justify us and leave us alone in that condition, He further renovates us through the whole process of salvation. That no one is justified by faith alone without going on to produce good works as a result of their changed heart and the power of the Spirit within them. That having received Christ and resting on Christ, this justification, which is by faith alone, is never alone in the lives of true believers. But as James says, that faith without works is dead. It's not a true faith if it doesn't result in the evidence of good works and love towards God and neighbor. Paragraph 3. Christ, by his obedience and death, did fully discharge the debt of all those that are justified, and did by the sacrifice of himself in the blood of his cross, undergoing the stead of the penalty due to them, making a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice on our behalf. Yet, inasmuch as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in our stead, and both freely, not for anything done in us, their justification is only of free grace, that both the exact justice and rich grace of God might be glorified in the justification of sinners. This is summarizing the Bible's teaching that in the cross and resurrection, God would be both the just and the justifier. That in seeing Christ suffer the penalty of our sins, he would be just. That sin would be punished and condemned. That evil and iniquity would be done away with. Because as God says about himself, he is not a God who can sweep iniquity under the rug. He is a God who is loving and gracious and kind towards thousands and to the generations of children of those who love him, but will by no means pardon the guilty and forget their iniquity, but will visit justice on those. He is a just judge and therefore cannot let evil law-breaking go unpunished. But he is also a good and gracious God, so that just as he is the just judge who must punish and condemn sin and law-breaking, he is also the justifier who in the person of the Son takes our place so that he would bear the penalty of our sins. And in his abundant, rich grace and mercy that we would be accounted to be righteous, not for anything that we could ever do for ourselves, but purely on the, on the grounds of his grace and mercy. So, going line by line, Christ in his obedience and death fully discharged the debt of all of us who are justified. If we are in Christ by faith, then everything we have ever done or will do is truly and fully forgiven by cross, by Christ and his cross. And he did, by the sacrifice of himself, undergo our stead, stood in our place under the penalty that was due to us. He made a proper, real, and full satisfaction to God's justice on our behalf. This is going against their criticism of Son, 
such as the Roman Catholics who were arguing against the Reformation and the doctrine of justification by faith alone. They said, well, if God is just accounting us righteous by only what Jesus has done, it's a legal fiction. He's just fudging the numbers. But this is not the case because Christ's righteousness is a true and real righteousness. It's not imaginary. And the atonement that he accomplished is a true and real atonement. That his atoning death and his righteous life are true and real and really accounted to us by faith. He's not just waving his hands and making our debt disappear. He's paying for our debt and giving us the riches that we did not earn. Yet inasmuch as, as he was given by the Father for them, and his obedience and satisfaction accepted in our said. So in all that the sacrifice of the Son satisfied the justice of God, none of this was by anything that was in us. Our justification is only by free grace. That, again, the exact justice and the rich grace of God may be glorified in the justification of sinners. That, as Scripture said, he would be both the just and the justifier. Paragraph 4. God did from all eternity, going back to, I believe it's chapter 3, we talked about God's decree, his plan for all of creation and history. God from all eternity decreed to justify all the elect. And Christ did in the fullness of time die for their sins and rise again for their justification. Nevertheless, they are not justified personally until the Holy Spirit does in time actually apply Christ unto them. So this is correcting some, some difficult uh, concepts and some possible mistakes in terms of what this justification means for us. Some had gone so far as to say, well, if God has decreed to justify his elect by the death of Christ, then, uh, then the elect are justified from all eternity. There's never a time when they're not counted righteous in Christ. And that has a lot of problems, especially with the Bible's language, that even us who are truly saved in Christ were, as Ephesians 2 said, children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Scripture also says that we were at one point separated from the commonwealth of Israel until we have been brought near. The Bible's teaching is that, yes, God had decreed to justify his elect people, to save them fully and finally, that in the fullness of time, just about 2,000 years ago, Christ actually came, atoned for our sin, accomplished our justification. But it's not until in the right timing of God's whole redemptive story, that the Holy Spirit actually applies that righteousness to us, that we can be considered justified. So we're not justified from eternity past in God's decree. God's decree takes effect in the right time when the Holy Spirit gives us a new heart through the preaching of the gospel, gives us the gift of faith, and then through our union with Christ by faith, freely justifies us in him. Paragraph 5. God does continue to forgive the sins of those that are justified. And although they can never fall from the state of justification, yet they may, by their sins, fall under God's fatherly displeasure. 
and in that condition, they have not the usual light of his countenance restored to them until they humble themselves, confess their sins, beg pardon, and renew their faith and repentance. So, God continues to forgive the sins of those that are justified. It's not as if when we become a Christian, when we submit to Christ's lordship, when we are given a new heart and justified by faith, then we are reset to zero. But then every sin that we commit after that is counted against us, and those we have to repent and atone for and overweigh with our good works. That goes completely against what the Bible teaches regarding our salvation and our security in Christ. That you look through John chapter 6, the way that Jesus says, the Father has given a people to the Son, the Son will atone for those people, and he will raise them up at the last day, and he will not lose a single one of any that the Father has given to him. Meaning that all who were elected by the Father were atoned for and justified by Christ, and will be kept and sealed to the day of redemption by the Spirit. Jesus will not lose any of those that he has died to save. Meaning that if someone, and we'll talk about this in later points of our confession, if someone at some point declares themselves to be a Christian, if someone professes to believe in Jesus Christ, professes to believe his gospel, and then later turns their back and walks away entirely. It shows to us that they were never truly in Christ in the first place. We'll cover that idea more in the chapter on the perseverance of the saints, but this is, again, the Bible's teaching that Jesus will lose none of those whom the Father has given to him, that those who have been justified have been counted righteous eternally and perfectly, the moment they come to faith in Christ, and that can never be taken away from us. That's not to say we should just go on sinning. Absolutely not. We'll cover that as well. That it would be impossible for us, who have been made new by the Spirit, to continue going on and loving the sin that He has freed us from. But it is to say that we cannot fall from our state of justification. That any teaching that says you can lose your justification is not a biblical one, and we will stand on that ground. However, we do continue to sin as believers. We continue to fall short in this life. And so even though we never fall out of our state of justification and salvation, we do sometimes come other God's fatherly discipline, that he doesn't shine his, his light upon us, the light of his countenance, the light of his face, as he normally would, that he disciplines us, as Hebrews says, as a good father disciplines his children until he brings us back to himself. When we humble ourselves, confess our sins, make his pardon and renew our faith and repentance, that all of life would be a life of repentance, that we would not coast because of our belief in justification, but we would be more and more propelled and strengthened to press on towards the goal of Philippians 3 and to, to seek to glorify God with our lives. Paragraph 6, the justification of believers under the Old Testament was in all these respects one and the same with the justification of believers under the New Testament. So this we talked about in a previous lesson, the idea that God's plan of salvation and his accomplishment of salvation 
is applied the same in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That it's not that the Old Testament saints were saved by works or works plus faith and were saved by faith in the New Testament, but that in Old and New Testament, we are saved by grace through faith in the Messiah. In the Old Testament, they were saved by believing in God's promise to send a Redeemer and by trusting in Him for their soul righteousness. And in the New Testament, we can see that that Redeemer is Jesus Christ and put our full faith and confidence on Him. Just as in Romans 4, quoting from the Old Testament, Genesis 15 or 17, that Abraham believed God, the promise that God had given to him, the promise that would ultimately lead to our redemption in Christ, and God counted it to him as righteousness. That Abraham's faith, through faith, Abraham was counted to be righteous, because through faith he was united to the Messiah who would become the seed of Abraham. The Bible is an amazing thing, isn't it? Moving on then to uh, the first benefit of our salvation, or you could say uh, the benefit of our justification. And in a sense, these two things come together in our salvation. Uh, they don't come one and then the other temporally or chronologically. Like you have to first be justified and then five minutes later you'll be adopted into God's family. There's things that um, they kind of logically follow after one another. And so these things, they come together in our salvation, but I would say that our justification opens the door and grants us access to our adoption in Christ. So chapter 12 of adoption, and this one is just one paragraph, but it is a rich and beautiful paragraph. Read along with me. All those that are justified, God vouchsafed in and for the sake of his only son, Jesus Christ to make them partakers of his grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. They have his name put upon them and receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, and are enabled to cry, Abba, Father. They are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as a father yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherent the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. What a beautiful summary of Scripture's teaching on the doctrine of our adoption in Christ. That as John 1, I think it's verse 12, John 1, 12 says that to those who did believe on him, who received Christ as he came, he gave the right to be called the children of God that all of us by nature are children of Adam and fallen in Adam. We continue to bear the image of God, but defaced and marred until it is restored in us through our union with Christ, the word made flesh. That it is by our union with Christ, the eternal son, that we too can be counted as sons and daughters of God, not just forgiven, not just righteous, but beloved and cared for and provided for and protected as a good father cares for his own children. That all those who are justified, God has vouchsafed. He has, he has made a promise. He has signed and sealed for, for the sake of Jesus Christ, his son, to make us 
partakers of the grace of redemption, by which we're taken into the numbers and enjoy all the privileges of the sons of God, that we not only inherit and receive Christ's righteousness and forgiveness, but also that we would receive a share in his atonement as his inheritance. We would achieve, sorry, we would receive a share in his inheritance of all things. That in the new heavens and the new earth, scripture says, we would be able to reign with Christ in the new heaven and new earth for all of ages. That we would with him receive the inheritance of all things giving him the glory through all of it. And as we are transformed from one degree of glory to the next, all of it would reflect back to the grace and glory and justice of God, Father, Son, and Spirit forever and ever. That he would put his name on us. That we would be to be declared his children in an unbreakable and irremovable fashion. That we would receive the Holy Spirit, which is the spirit of adoption, to have access to the throne of grace with boldness and would be able to cry, Abba, Father, as Romans 8 speaks of. That us as his children, adopted in and for the sake of Jesus Christ, we are never cast off. Jesus said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That we are sealed to the day of redemption. He keeps those who are his. He will let no one snatch us from his hand. That we inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. It would be well worth your time to go through some of these proof texts and well and, and, and see how this summarizes all of Scripture's beautiful teaching. That's one of my favorite chapters. These both are two of my favorite chapters in all the confession because they summarize so well and so clearly the Bible's beautiful teaching of our redemption in Christ, that we will live with greater confidence and comfort not trying to earn our salvation or place in his kingdom, but resting fully and truly on the finished work of Jesus Christ. That by believing in him, we have the power, the ability to press on towards the goal to which he has called us. And that is a beautiful thing. That in him, all comfort, all blessing dwells. And so we, we turn to Christ. We trust in him. We receive his good gifts. So thank you again for joining us for the study of the London Baptist Confession. Uh, hope to see you again Sunday, and let us know if you have any questions. God bless.